Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to be with us, to guide us in our discussion. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this new day. We thank you more than anything for the joy and the peace that we have in Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that we also have the privilege, as uh, you have given us, to share this gospel of Christ with others. Bless us now as we open your word, as we discuss what evangelism really is in this seminar, and I pray that you will guide us. And more than just become something that we understand intellectually, help us, Lord, to to flesh it out. Help us to, because of your Holy Spirit living in us, to be active in a lifestyle of evangelism. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Welcome to uh, Evangel Living. Uh, the Great Commission in action today, like they say on the airlines, if this is not the destination that you are supposed to be going to, this is the time to get out. We're going to, uh, today, specifically, in this first seminar, t- try to define evangelism maybe a little differently than you have heard it before, but I feel it is very biblical and uh, founded on some very clear principles in the spirit of prophecy. So what we want to do today is talk about what evangelism really is in terms of of, uh, what does it mean when we say we need to be doing evangelism? What does it mean when we talk about, uh, hey, our church needs to do more evangelism? What are we talking about here? And uh, the next seminar we're, we're going to be looking at is God's Marine Corps and you, talking about the importance of evangelism, not as a lone ranger kind of approach, but rather working together as a team, as a group in a local church. And uh, Cher Him is, is developing these in local churches. We call them outreach teams, outreach leadership teams. We're going to talk about those. And then we're going to talk about the important work of sowing in the cycle of evangelism. But today, we're, right now, we're going to talk about what is evangelism really? 19, I'm trying to think here, it was 19, like, 1993, 92 in October, I got a phone call from uh, the Trans-European Division, and they invited me to go to a little country called Albania. Have any of you heard of that place? Uh, Enver Hoxha, who was the dictator, had just been overthrown about eight months earlier, and they were wanting to send in evangelists to do meetings and to do evangelism in Albania. I was excited about the opportunity, and so off we went to, the, uh, to southern Albania, to the city of Korcha, where for six weeks we preached, we worked, we visited, we, uh, we rented a theater, cold theater, and uh, it was filled every night. We would have uh, drunk guys standing up and challenging and cursing at me in the middle of the meetings. We would have all kinds of things happening. It was a very exciting time. At the end of those meetings, uh, we had a baptism in a hotel. It was the only place we could find that had any body of water. It was a fish tank about this deep uh, underneath the stairs. And we, had a, we sat the people down and we baptized them like this. I was on my knees, but that's the only amount of water we could find because it was the dead of winter. Fifteen people, we started the church there in Korcha. It was exciting. It was wonderful. But was that evangelism? What do you think? Was that evangelism? Was that evangelism? No, I would, yeah, we could say yes. Let me tell you another story. About three weeks ago or so, no, about a month ago, I was in Oregon. And when I travel, I often uh, stop and I love to read. I love reading. And I pulled out my book at a Taco Bell. And as I was eating my bean burrito, this is my time. I want you to understand, I like eating and reading. It's a beautiful combination. I'm eating my bean burrito, reading a book called The Language of God. And it's written by a scientist on why he believes that there is a God. It was, I was just devouring it, enjoying it. And all of a sudden, a guy next to me pops up and says, uh, Sir, what is the language of God? Now, what am I supposed to do? I was enjoying my meal. But I sensed God leading, and he read the front of the book, and we spent another half an hour talking about God and about Christ and about salvation in Christ. Is that evangelism? Okay, You all feel more comfortable with that, to say that's evangelism, don't you? Is that evangelism? 
you know what? I would say that that is evangelism. And I would say that evangelism in Albania, we could also say, is a kind of evangelism, right? But let me ask you a question. Let's go back to that first gospel commission written there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20, to begin our definition of what evangelism is really, okay? Then Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, if you have your Bibles, look it up, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of most nations, depending on the political circumstances. Is that what it says? All nations... And then baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You realize, I just want to make a little a note here. This great gospel commission begins with the assurance. Let me go back. What does it say right at the beginning of verse 18? It says, then Jesus came and spoke to them, all authority in heaven. What? has been given to me on heaven and on earth. In other words, before he tells us what we need to do, he tells us, I just want you to know that I have authority to make this happen. And then he ends the gospel commission by saying what? He says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. When it comes to the work of evangelism, taking the gospel of Christ to others, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and he will give us the power to accomplish it. We also have heard of the text, uh, have we not, that says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the what? All the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Have you heard that? Let me tell you a little bit about myself so you know where I'm coming from. I'm a pastor. I, I work with a ministry called Share Him, which is involved in mobilizing and encouraging lay evangelism around the world. Before that, though, we spent nine years, my family and I, as missionaries to the Chinese world. We spent in China, Taiwan, Hong Kong. Before that, I was pastoring in in Florida. And so when we talk about all the world, I believe that God wants this message to be preached to all the world, even in communist China. All the world. And then we have this promise in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. What is it telling us? Notice the truth in this text. Notice these truths. Number one, there is a gospel. Can I have at least one amen right there? Okay, there is a gospel. The reality is that we're not having to invent what we have to say. We're not having to construct you know, a, a great proposition to share with somebody else. There is a gospel. In fact, God has, I believe, instituted the church, created the church for it, to serve as the conduit for this gospel of Christ to be preached to the whole world. And I think there's a reason for that. He knew that we needed to preach the gospel of Christ. He knew it. He knew we needed it for our own spiritual well-being. Because, you know, there isn't any such thing as a non-witnessing Christian. Have you thought about that? There, it's an oxymoron. Christians are Christians because they talk about Christ and because they reflect Christ to others. And so here in this promise that this gospel will be preached to all the world, first of all, you have a promise that there is a gospel. Number two, he has a kingdom. We're not trying to create a kingdom. Christ has a kingdom. We have just been invited to expand that kingdom. Number three, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world. That's a promise. Amen? And you know, all the world includes your city. It includes Quebec. It includes where you live. Sometimes we think of all the world. Well, yes, the gospel will go to Indonesia. And praise the Lord, it's going to Africa. Praise the Lord, it's going to China. But what about Quebec? We were talking last night. What about Quebec? Is that part of the world? Absolutely. What about our next door neighbors right next to us? Exactly. That includes all the world, doesn't it? Your next-door neighbors, the people across the street, the people you work with. Uh, just a reminder for any of you who just came in, there are handouts right at the door there. Make sure you pick those up. There's another promise in this one verse. It says, after the job is done, in other words, the great commission is accomplished to take the gospel to all the world, 
then the end will come. Isn't that good news? The end will come. Not maybe. It will come. Don't you want Jesus to come soon? In, in, in a way, He's waiting for us to become more passionate about lost people. He's waiting for us to get active. Instead of saying, well, I will send money to such and such an evangelist and let him run with it and preach, he's calling us to support the great evangelist, but also to become involved in the Gospel Commission ourselves. This is one of the tragedies of the last 20 to 30 years in the Adventist Church, especially in the developed world, is that we have become more and more dependent on professional evangelists to do the work of the Great Commission. As if to say, well, I am not a specialist in this. As if to say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Folks, let me ask you a question. Just because you don't have the gift of evangelism, does that mean that you're exempt from the Great Gospel Commission? If I have the gift of helps that talks about in the New Testament or administration or teaching, does that mean I don't need to worry about the Great Gospel Commission because I don't have the gift of evangelism? Is that what it says? No. Everyone should use the gift that God had given them through the Holy Spirit to accomplish the great mission of the church, which is evangelism, which is the great gospel commission to every kindred, tongue, and people. So what role does evangelism play in this promise and in this prophecy that we have read in, in Matthew 24? What role does it play? It's very important. It is the promise. It is a promise. So if evangelism is that important, don't you think it's important that we define evangelism very clearly? Because there are lots of definitions floating around there. I mean, I've had people say, well, we're going to have a concert in our church. We had a church that's working with us and developing outreach teams. They held an organ concert in the church, and that they called that evangelism. Is an organ concert part of evangelism? Well, yes, but is that it? That's what we want to talk about. Let me share with you a few common definitions out there right now for what we would call evangelism. How about evangelistic meetings? Have you ever heard a church board say, well, we need to do evangelism? What are they saying when they say that? We need to have a crusade. We need to have a campaign. We need to have a revelation seminar. They just define, and folks, let's be honest, that's usually what we think of, isn't it? Evangelism is an event. Now notice carefully, I said evangelism is an event. We're going to hold a crusade here. We're going to put the graphics on the, on the screen and we're going to preach. That's evangelism. How about this one? Personal Bible studies. Is, some people define evangelism just as personal Bible studies. Other people might say, well, no, 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 no. It's not those two things. The most important thing about evangelism is sharing one's personal faith with our neighbor or with our friends or with our co-workers. That's what evangelism is. Some others say living a life that reflects God's love. I've had people, I mean, just this week, I had a person say to me, you know, the only thing we really need to do is just be kind and loving and thoughtful. Let, let us show the love of Jesus to others and he will take care of the rest. Is that what evangelism is? Is that a definition of evangelism that we can all embrace? I would like to suggest that all of these that we've talked about are only a part of evangelism, but not a definition in and of itself. Now, some of you who, who are sitting here are going to be, by default, immediately think about evangelism as being a crusade, or a campaign. I'm just challenging you here. That is not it. Over here we have some handouts, right, as you walk in on this side. So please. Evangelism is, is all of these, you could say, put together. It is a package. It is, it is something, not just a campaign, not just Bible studies, not just living a Christian life. I would suggest that all of those are a part of evangelism, but not a definition in and of themselves. Here are a few definitions right from the spirit of prophecy I'd like to share with you. And those, by the way, are, are listed on, your, on the handout so that you don't have to you know, take notes. You can take those with you. Number one, from the book Evangelism, page 15, look at what it says. To us also the commission is given. Do you agree with that? 
Has the Great Commission really been given to you? Then why is it that we don't sometimes act upon that? We feel sometimes that the Great Gospel Commission has been given to only people who are pastors. I mean, after all, they're the specialists, right? Or evangelists. But Sister White tells us, no, to us also the commission is given. We are bidden to go forth and what? As Christ's messengers to teach, instruct, and persuade men and women to urge upon their attention the word of life. Do you hear what she's saying here? This is so counterculture. You understand what I mean by counterculture today? The postmodern mindset and, and even that that comes after is like, you cannot be pushy. You cannot persuade. That is impolitic to talk about religion and politics, right? That's what they say. You stay away from those two things. And so that's why sometimes churches do evangelism by, by uh, they, they, they call, I don't want to be misunderstood here, but basically they, their evangelism is simply welcome mat evangelism. I was in a church three weeks ago that their concept of evangelism was having an ashtray at the front door of the church. They felt that they wanted to have people who were struggling with cigarettes to come to church, and therefore they wanted to provide a place for them if they needed to go outside and smoke or to, to have an ashtray. Now, you know what? Honestly, put an ashtray there. But if that's the end of your evangelism, what, what, what is it? I mean, God doesn't want non-smoking people to go to hell. He wants people to go to heaven, amen? And, and I was talking with another lady at another church, and, and we were dividing up into outreach teams and beginning this, to work on this lifestyle of evangelism. And she came up and says, no, pastor, I am already completely, and this is how she was talking to me, completely, completely overtaxed. I am working with uh, health evangelism, and I cannot do anything else. And, and she was doing a great program called the CHIP program. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a fantastic program. She says, we've done nine CHIP programs in a row. We have an alumni of over 200 people in the community. And we get together twice a month and we have an alumni supper. And we have 20, 30 non-Adventists coming. And she was just so excited about that. And I was too. Wow. I said, look at all this. And I said, so, so now what? I said, what do you, here's a perfect opportunity. Here you have all these people who are eating right, who are concerned about their health. Have you ever talked to them about the connection between health and spirituality? I mean, after all, I said, sister, please don't misunderstand me. But I don't think that God is too concerned about people with great cardiac health who end up in hell. The important thing is that that health message is an opening wedge. It's an entering wedge for us to... to to segue over to the eternal things. There are a lot of healthy, lost people. Amen? So the, the point is that we've got to connect all these dots. And she is telling us here, to us also the commission is given. That means all of us here, we are bidden to go forth as Christ's messengers to teach, to instruct. Oh, I'm not a teacher. I can't instruct. And persuade. Oh, no, that's not, that's not nice. Now, folks, I am not suggesting that you go around thumping a Bible over people's heads. But there is an intentionality. Did you catch that word? There's an intentionality to what she's talking about here. Going forth as messengers to teach, instruct, persuade men and women to urge upon their attention the word of life. And to what else? And to us also the assurance of Christ's abiding presence is given. Isn't that wonderful? When she says to go forth and do these things, she also says Christ will be with you. Don't worry. He will be with you. Will you be nervous? Hello? Of course you'll be nervous. But does that mean that, that you should not go there? When I proposed to my wife, I was as nervous as can be. Does that mean I shouldn't propose to her? When I talked to her father, I was ten times more nervous. Does that mean I shouldn't have asked for her, her daughter's hand in marriage? No. Just because you're nervous doesn't mean you need to become petrified. It means you need to step out in faith. 
And folks, I'm going to say this again and again. If you come to the other seminars, you'll hear me say this again and again. God is calling us out of our comfort zone into the faith zone. And one of the best ways to have a deeper, more real, extreme relationship with Jesus Christ is to get actively involved in sharing your faith. Because every time you do that, you are stepping out of your little comfort zone where everything is under your control and you're stepping into the faith zone where you are totally dependent upon the presence of Christ in you and with you. Amen? Amen. So Ellen White gives us this definition which involves teaching and preaching. Folks, I have to tell you, as a Seventh-day Adventist, as Seventh-day Adventists, we cannot divorce message from evangelism. We cannot divorce the two. We have been given a specific, clear mission that identifies us as the remnant church, and that is the preaching of the three angels' message. Not the three angels' feeling. Not the three angels' goodwill. Have you ever read the three angels' messages? It's not a very warm and fuzzy... Well, warm. It is very warm. But it, 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 it's not a very fuzzy, cuddly, uh, webkins kind of a feel. It is a message, but it is encased at the beginning and at the end with the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so what I'm suggesting to you is that evangelism as, as a whole must be message-centered, and the message must center upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him returning very soon. Amen? Here's another one, another definition from Sister White. Ministry of Healing, I, I think many of you have read this before. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people, right? She goes on to say, The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good, He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, have a good day. You all take care now. Is that what he did? See, that would be kind of the postmodern way of doing it. Oh, we give him, we meet their needs and everything, everything's great. And then we say, hey, you all come back now. Come back for some more more donuts and, and orange juice. No, Jesus then looked him in the eye and said, follow me. Follow me. In other words, become my disciple. Let me be the Lord of your life. What does that mean? This is a wonderful definition, folks. Wonderful definition. And you know, it involves getting our hands dirty. It means mingling with men as one who desire their good. Folks, any time that you get involved in evangelism... Your nice, little, structured, beautiful, clean, little world is going to be affected. Amen? You get involved with people who are lost. That means you're dealing with people who are really struggling with sin or are struggling with with hurt because of the sin. There it is. And won their confidence. And he bade them, follow me. You have the command here to teach, instruct, persuade. You have... Uh, the invitation to allow others to follow Jesus. You even have the word urge here. She says even that we are to be his messengers. Now, what does that imply? If you are a messenger, you have something to deliver. What is that? A message. You have a message to deliver. You also have the personal day-to-day involvement in the lives of the needy. You are called to get your hands dirty. If you bring these together, we can say that evangelism is not just an event, but rather it is an ongoing lifestyle, a worldview. We call it evangeliving. That's what it should be. Evangelism is not just a cooking school. Evangelism is not just a revelation seminar. Evangelism isn't just a discipleship seminar. It isn't a uh, whatever you want to call it, a chip program. It isn't just Bible studies. It isn't just delivering cookies on, on Christmas Eve. To You know, all of that is part of evangelism. And it's not just one event. It's rather a life cycle, a lifestyle. 
That is why at Shirehim we call it, we are encouraging men and women, Seventh-day Adventists, to be involved in a lifestyle of evangelism, evangeliving. Now, when you take a look at your life, and you take a look at your time, and you take a look at your leisure time, how much time, what is your life like? Is, could you describe it as one that is committed to evangel living? Evangel living, a lifestyle of evangelism. I like the term evangel living because what it says is that evangelism is not uh, something that we check in and check out of. Do you follow me? Oh, we're going to do evangelism now. Okay, we're going to get it. We're going home. We get to do our thing now. You check out. That is not the way it works. Evangelism is a constant lifestyle where we have our antenna up saying, Lord, connect me with those who maybe uh, you are guiding my way. Lord, lead me. Lord, uh, help me. Give me words to say. It is a lifestyle. It is a culture. Can I use that word? Culture? Can evangelism be a culture? Think about it. What is a culture? Well, have you ever seen these guys? The, 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 the whole biking culture. I don't have a motorcycle, but I've seen them go by. You can hear them about two miles away, you know. But, you know, you never see, at least I rarely see, somebody on a Harley Davidson with a, with a suit on. Okay? What do you see them wearing? Leather. Leather pants. Big boots, you know, they, they go to, what do they do? They get together for weekends, right? All the bikers' weekends, and they travel all over the states to go. Do you know there's even biking camp meetings in the Adventist church? Biker camp meetings? Yeah. Bikers come together, they invite a speaker, and hey, it's a biker camp meeting. And if you're a speaker at the biker camp meeting, you must wear leather. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Not true. But I'm saying there is a culture that surrounds the Viking community. And it affects all the, they, even the, what they wear, how they talk, where they go, what they do for leisure activity, where they spend their money. Right? That is a culture. What about this right here? Apple. Have you ever met people who are in the Max? Maybe there are none of you here. And that might be good. My son is one who is just totally into Max. He has a thing on, in his room that says, um, oh, what is it? It has something to do with uh, Windows as opposed to Mac or something, you know, some, some play on words on, you know. At the, bottom, <laughs> the bottom line is people who are into Macs are always, anytime Windows comes up or or Microsoft, oh, boo, boo. You know, they wear, my son has a big Apple T-shirt, you know, and they have Apple stickers. And, of course, they're not going to stop with just a computer. They go with the iPhone. Oh, the iPhone. Lining up, you know. I mean, the iPhone, you've got to have an Apple iPhone, you know. It's a culture. It's the Mac culture. And I would like to suggest to you that evangelism, should be a way of life like that as well. Not something that we do, oh, our church is going to have evangelism for the next two weeks, and then we can just take a little rest for another two years. And then, and I hate to be so bold as to say this, during those two or three weeks, we feel so guilty when we're not at the meeting every night, and and most Adventists never invite anybody, and then when it's all said and done, we walk away and many Adventists say, Oh, see, evangelism doesn't work. It doesn't work. When the reality is that the church is not working. Or they look at the brochures that we send out, you know, and you have, you know, the, uh, the, the image there of Daniel 2, or you have some beast, you know, of Daniel 7, 8, 9, and they say, Oh my goodness, look, we're sending this stuff. We're scaring everybody away. Evangelism doesn't work. You can't do this anymore. When the reality is there is more of a thirsting and hungering of the things of God right now, especially prophecy, than ever before. The reality is not that evangelism doesn't work. The reality is that we are not working. 
And evangelism should not be just this little event that happens if we're lucky in a church every three years, every two years. Folks, I have been in churches where they have not had an evangelistic reaping crusade in the last 30 years. You might find that hard to believe. But most churches in North America don't have one every year, maybe once every two or three years. But the reality is evangelism is not just that reaping event, that campaign. Evangelism needs to be a lifestyle because if all you're looking to is that campaign to do evangelism, you're going to really have a hard time being successful. The church members need to develop this passion for lost people, this lifestyle, a worldview, a culture that permeates our life from waking up until we hit the hay at night that says, Lord, I'm on your mission today. Who is it that you are going to intersect me with? Who should I be praying for? for? Who should I be on my prayer list that does not have a relationship with Christ? Or maybe they have a relationship with Christ, but they have not yet made a commitment to be part of God's remnant church to prepare, prepare for the coming of Christ. They need that. And so evangelism should be a culture. It should be a way of life. It should be something that we do not every once or twice a decade, but something that we live every single day. You see, evangelism should be all about sharing Him. Sharing Him meaning sharing our Savior, Jesus Christ, with other people. Folks, I remember when I was... um, In college, my senior year of college, my second senior year of college, I had so much fun in college, I just added another year. And and I was, I went out on a date with this girl and that had been introduced to me by a good friend of mine. Went on a date, I think it was on the second date, it was a Christmas time, right about this time. We went to, uh, I was an education major as well, so we went to an education department Christmas party. And at the end of that party, after I'd gone out with her like two times, I went, made a beeline to my friend's, my best friend's room at the boys' dorm, and I said, John, you know what? It's not a matter of who anymore. It's just a matter of when. I had found the girl of my dreams. And what's interesting was, I didn't just go back to my room and sit there, hum... Um, I had to tell somebody about this. I had to let them know about this girl called Audrey, who I did eventually marry, and who I was scared to death to talk to her dad. He's a very intimidating man. I mean, but I had to tell somebody about it. I had to. But sometimes we are just like closet Christians, you know, secret. And, and what he is saying to us is, don't think of evangelism as an event. You look at the book of Acts. Do you see them holding evangelistic meetings once every three years and calling that evangelism? If you look at the book of of Acts, it says, And God added daily to those who were being saved. Amen? Daily. That didn't happen just because they had an evangelistic meeting every two years. It happened because the whole church was so in love with the risen Christ, and he had had such an impact on their life that they were constantly sharing, talking about Jesus. And that's where the term Christian came about. Because they were always talking about Christ. Have you ever met people that are Redskinians? Vikingians? Chicago Berrians? You get what I'm saying? People who talk about sports all the time. Or talk about NASCAR all the time. I mean... That's what these people talked about Christ all the time, sharing Him. They couldn't help it. Folks, evangelism is a lifestyle. It's got to be. It's got to be evangel living, not just evangelism as an event. And so I just want to challenge you here. Don't think about evangelism and you want to get involved in evangelism. Okay, well, how am I going to preach? That is part of the cycle of evangelism. But God has given us a very special message. Could I be so bold as to say this? We have been given a special message. It's called the three angels message. And if we believe that 
other Christians, if we believe that the Baptist church down the, ro- down the road is going to preach the three angels' message for us, we have a problem. Do you follow me? If we think that the church of God is one day going to, to take the three angels' message and start preaching it for us so that we don't have to, folks, I think that's, that's wrong. Have you ever played the game of risk before? Any of you played risk? Okay, when I grew up, we had a risk game. And the idea was that you had certain armies and you tried to conquer the world, right? Well, when my kids were growing up, we were in Hong Kong, and we went out and we decided for Christmas to buy them a game of risk. Well, we went and got, they only had a Chinese version of the game of risk. It was very interesting. Same thing, but it was all bilingual with Chinese characters. We brought it home, we opened it up after Christmas, and I look at it, I'm like, man, same world, obviously. Lots of Chinese characters, but... I noticed that there was a new kind of risk. It was called special mission risk. Have you ever played that? What you do is that you, you, you hand out the different uh, pieces of the army and then you're given a card and you're not allowed to show that card to anybody else. You take the card and you look at it. And instead of the object of the game being to conquer all the countries, no, the object of the game is to accomplish the mission that you've been given. And the mission might read, uh, conquer South Africa, South America and uh, Asia, and then hold it for one, t- for one turn and you win. And somebody else's card might say, conquer North America and Africa, hold it for one turn and you win. Wow. When I first saw that, Something hit me, connected in my brain. I said to myself, wait a minute. This is exactly, this is exactly what, what, uh, the Adventist church has been given. Sometimes we misunderstand the whole concept of the remnant, folks. The remnant doesn't mean that only the remnant are, are, are saved. The remnant means that we have been given a special mission. Special mission risk, remember? Special mission. And it is our mission to proclaim the three angels' messages, which involves proclamation of the gospel in the context of end-time events, of calling people back to the faith of Jesus and keeping the commandments of God to prepare to meet Christ. These are the three angels' message. And if we believe that... Others are going to take over our mission. We're waiting. And, and one of the trends in the Adventist church that really worries me is that many churches, many Adventists, are desperately trying to look like Baptists. They're desperately trying to fit in with the Methodists or whatever else it is. When we have a specific identity, were you all here last night? When uh, Israel said, you know, identity determines what? This is quiz number one. Identity determines what? Destiny. And in the terms of of evangelism, isn't that true? Isn't that true? If your evangelism is how much, how good a program you can put on and entertain people, that's it. Well, that's a certain kind of evangelism. And it's measured by what? Numbers sometimes. Oh, we had an attendance of 300. That was great. Amen. But when it comes to special, the special mission that God has given us, identity is determined by discipleship. Fully devoted and committed people, souls to Jesus Christ who are preparing for His coming. That is what we're looking for. And God has given us this special mission. Has He given it to, to us with the reality that we can do it in our own strength? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are still totally dependent upon Christ to accomplish this. But if we lose track of that special mission, if we begin to dilute the whole concept of what evangelism is, if evangelism is a chip program, end of story, period, end of paragraph, close the book, we're doing evangelism, we have missed the boat. Evangelism is a life cycle that will include, hopefully, an interest in people's health, helping them live healthier lives, helping them have healthier relationships, helping them connect 
closer to other people. But it also includes proclaiming the message of the three angels' message, the distinctive truths for this end time, and preparing them to meet their God. I could summarize, in a way, the three angels' message by the message of Amos. Remember when Amos was called to proclaim that message, prepare to meet your God? That is what we're called to do at the end of time. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? We know it. It's right there in prophecy. We're living in the time of the end. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to be one of those that the Bible says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That is a message that has to be prepared, not a feeling. Hey, you're cool, man. I'm cool. We're cool, cool. And, and, and let's just love each other. Um... No, there's a message, there's a reality. Jesus is coming soon. And He loves you so much, He does not want you to miss out on this important thing called eternity. It's a special mission, folks. And it's not something that we turn off and on. It is something that should permeate our lives. It should permeate all that we do. It should be a lifestyle, a culture. So if there's nothing else that you gather from this morning, I hope you remember that when we talk about evangelism, we're not talking about, well, how am I going to conduct evangelistic meetings or how am I going to give Bible studies? It has to do with an overall lifestyle of evangelism where you are saying, Lord, use me. And if you lead me to give Bible studies, I will ask people if they want the Bible studies, if the time is ripe. If the time is right. I will, I will open the Bible. I know you'll lead me and I'll prepare for it and you'll be there with me. I'll invite people to an evangelistic meeting. In fact, guess what? I'll preach the evangelistic meeting. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to give you all the tools, show you all the tools. Every one of you here, I am certain as I'm standing here, can stand up and preach these three angels' message. And when you do that, you realize it's actually not about how good a speaker you are. It's about you being used by the Holy Spirit. Folks, in short, the three angels' message is that same message. Remember, prepare to meet your God that Amos had. Prepare to meet thy God. Listen, turn on the TV sometime, just as an assignment. And on Sunday morning, listen to the preachers that that are preaching right now. Folks, a lot of the stuff that they talk about, we can agree with. They're talking about the love of God. We believe in that. They're talking about Jesus Christ. We love that. But you'll also hear things such as, if you love God and you honor Him, you will get rich. If you love God and you honor Him, He wants you to be successful. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. If you love God, and and, and you need to have... There's very little, if anything, of the message of Amos coming through in modern preachers and pulpits today. Prepare to meet thy God. Prepare to meet thy God. That means God is, this is coming to an end soon. We, we have been called to preach that. If we don't preach this message, who will? Who will do it? Look at what uh, sixth volume of the testimony says, page 11. The Lord designs that the presentation of this message, and by the way, She's talking about the three angels' messages. She designs that the presentation of this message shall be of the highest, what? The highest, greatest work carried on in the world at this time. Can she be any clearer than that, folks? Hello? Can she be? The highest and greatest work carried out on the world at this time. Why does she add that at this time? Why does she say that at the end, at this time? Because we are living at the time of the end. Like I heard uh, uh, Elder Bradford preach a sermon once, and he said, you know, we spend so much time on minor things. It's like we're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. That's what he said. And I'm like, wow, that's exactly it. We're trying to, we're discussing, you know, how to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, and the Titanic is sinking. And it's sinking fast, but we're concerned about the deck chairs, who are soon going to be two miles under the water. The Lord designs that the presentation of this message shall be of the highest and the greatest 
um, work carried out in the world at this time. What, let me ask you a question. What is your culture like, folks? Is it the highest and greatest work that you are carrying out at this time? See, it's so easy for us to read Ellen White like that and say, yes, the church should be, should be focusing more on this. The church, I had one lady just a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on lay evangelism and on the importance of evangelism. She came up to me afterwards and she looked at me and said, oh, I'm so glad you preached that sermon. Because she was quite short, she was looking up at me. She says, I'm so glad you preached that sermon. They really needed to hear that. They really needed to hear that. And I said, I hope they heard it. Yeah. The bottom line is they, who's they? The church is who? You and me. We are the church. Amen? So when she says there is no greater work that the church should be involved in, that is to proclaim this message, to be involved in an active life of evangelism, who is she talking to? She's not talking to Elder Paulson only at the general conference. Or your conference president or your pastor, she's talking to each one of you. In your life, you need to have a culture of evangelism. So what is your culture like? Think about it. Do you, does that greatest, most important work permeate your life? Ask the question. Evangelism is a way of life that is characterized by... Mission by a mission to reach the lost and warn the world of the soon coming of Christ. We could say that evangel living is a deliberate lifestyle that seeks to sow seeds of truth and life, participate in reaping events when those seeds come to to harp to fruition, and then do everything in our power to retain those that harvest. So we could say that there is, a, there is a, a cycle of evangelism that should permeate your life. In other words, sowing, reaping, and retaining. Sowing, reaping, and retaining. And in the next session, we're going to talk about how do you do that? How can I, by myself, carry on this cycle and lifestyle of evangelism? I'm here to tell you that, biblically speaking, evangelism never took place alone as a solo event. If you look at the new, the only time I could think of in Scripture would be Philip, for example, when he was taken away in the spirit to meet the Ethiopian. But that was a very unusual event. And if you continue reading that, when Philip went up to Samaria to be a missionary, he called for backup help to help him there. Evangelism is usually done in community. Follow me here. Evangelism is done in community. The Lone Ranger always had his tonto. Jesus sent his disciples out, not one by one, but what? Two by two. And so what I'm suggesting to you here is that if you want to have a culture of evangelism in your own life, and you want to participate in a life cycle of evangelism, do not leave here saying, yes, I'm going to do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And do try to do it on your own. I would say it's not biblical and... and, and the next seminar, we'll talk about how Ellen White over and over again says, organize small companies of believers to work in the vicinity of the church, to work in evangelism, to work as a team, to support one another, to encourage one another. So evangelism is a way of life that is characterized by an ongoing cycle of events. Cycle meaning sowing the seed, developing relationships, creating trust, going door to door and, and putting a magazine in, in a mailbox without seeing a person, the white of a person's eye, that is one kind of evangelism. The Lord can use that. But Jesus' method alone, remember, gives true success. You've got to come alongside somebody that is lost. Spend time with them. Develop a relationship with them. Um, go bowling with them. Go golfing with them. Um, Spend time with them. Develop that trust. That's all sowing. And then, you can't just let the fruit sit there. A good farmer is going to be invited to get out and harvest as well. Amen? And what does harvesting mean? We're going to talk about that. 
But it's this, and that includes that, that is preaching the, th- the three angels' message, and then finally ending up with retaining, discipling, continuing to build those people into disciple-making Christians, rather than just baptized members. You see, oftentimes now the church measures its success not by its intentionality in evangelism, but they measure success, your church might be this way, by how great a music they have. I've been to churches that are so proud of their band or so proud of their orchestra. They have a great music. It's like a production. Wow, we have a slick program. And I would say to them, well, so does uh, the Grammy Awards. So what's different here? In other words, that is not, uh, does it mean that we need to be mediocre in how we conduct our worship? No, we need to do it with excellence. After all, whatever we do, we do it unto God. Other people, other churches uh, say, well, we have a great worship service, not just, not just uh, uh, the music, but we have great preaching. Others say, you know what, we're successful because, praise the Lord, we meet our bills. We pay our light bill. I'm serious. I was president in Taiwan conference for a number of years, and we had 91 churches all across Taiwan, and I would visit these churches, you know, visit them. And many times I would go to the churches, and they would say to me, they would come up to me and say, Fu Musa, my last name is Falkenberg, but you try to translate that into Chinese. It's just ridiculously long. So I took on a Chinese name. It was Pastor Fu. And they would say, Fu Musa, Anybody here know what that means? You know what it means? Thank God we are still alive. Thank God we are still alive. They were just ecstatic that after 20 years their doors were still open. But yet there were 10 or 15 people sitting in the church and it hadn't grown hardly at all. It was a dying church. And I would look to him and say, do you think God is holding a party in heaven because you still are opening your doors? You're dying. God's desire for his church is that, for his body, by the way, is that it be healthy and growing. Amen. Other people establish their success by how much attendance they have. Other people are so concerned about what they get out of church. Look at this video here. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me see here if I, I think I missed this. This has got to go over here. Other people are so concerned, are so concerned with, with what they get out of church that uh, they totally missed the point of, of church. Let me show you this video. Passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work. If I assign Sunday roll call, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where he starts singing, we're not the bad guy. Say no more. If you're taking screen, you stay seated. The others around you. Now, you know, we chuckle about that because it's obviously exaggerating a point. But how many of our churches are like that? What do I get out of it? I want it this way. I want it this way. I want it for me, 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 church. And that's how they define success. When they walk away just feeling so comfortable as if they had just eaten a wonderful buffet, all you could eat for one price. Folks, the church was established to reach the lost. Amen? And we need to have a culture of evangelism that says we are not satisfied unless lost people are coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only as a church, but as individuals. God is calling a church that has a culture of evangelism. And when I use the word church, I'm talking about you folks and me. 
A commission culture, as the Oregon Conference calls it. I love it. They call it a commission culture. A culture that is permeated by, by the great gospel commission. Evangel living, folks, is ownership of the message and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You know the biggest difference between between uh, churches in areas of the world where the church is growing rapidly and in areas of the world where it isn't? It's that the members in the areas where the church is growing rapidly, the members own the mission and the message of the church. Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, last summer, we were in El Salvador, and my kids, my two kids, were preaching an evangelistic series for the first time. They were up there last night. My 12-year-old was preaching for the first time, 14-year-old. And, of course, we had 35 campaigns going around, and we went, I went to visit all of them. But I went that first night to see my youngest son. I mean, I was curious how he was going to do. He was doing great. He got there, he was preaching his heart out. I went and I talked to the pastor. I speak Spanish, so I was talking with him in Spanish, the elders, and everybody was all excited. And, and I came back three or four days later, nights later, to see how things were going. And I'm looking for the pastor, no pastor. I'm like, in my mind, you know, skeptical Bob. I'm thinking, man, he stayed home and is watching I Love Lucy reruns. I can't believe this. Where is the guy? I talked to the elders and I said, so el pastor, ¿dónde está el pastor? Where's the pastor? And they said, oh, the pastor. Oh, he's not here. I'm like, yeah, I know. He said, where's the pastor? Oh, well, pastor, Bob, he says, he has, he has uh, 12 other churches and seven other companies with this one, he he has 20 churches, and he's conducting evangelistic meetings. There's other evangelistic meetings going on right now, too. I'm like... Then I thought to myself of a conversation I'd had just a, uh, recently with the conference president of this place, Pastor Victor Burgos is his name, where he was telling me, I was sharing with him what we're doing in North America, getting outreach teams in churches to have two evangelistic reaping events every year. We're going to talk about that getting into a culture of evangelism, a cycle over and over again. I said, we're going to have two of them a year. And he started laughing at me. I'm like, what are you, why are you laughing at me? He said, well, here we recommend. And by the way, when they say recommend down there, it's basically mean order. We, we recommend that, that every church and company has four evangelistic meetings per year. Do the math on that. That pastor has 20 churches times, how many did I say a year? Four, that's 80 evangelistic meetings that he has got to oversee in a year. Does he preach all those? It's impossible. And that's how it should be. It's not his job to preach 80 evangelistic campaigns a year. What is he doing? He is training and equipping. Who is doing the visitation? Who's doing the Bible studies? Who's inviting people? Who's overseeing the program? Who's doing the preaching? Hello, it is the lay people. Amen? And that's why the church is growing so rapidly. They have an ownership. When you become an Adventist in El Salvador, it's not like, well, I hope the conference gets on the stick here. Man, they're, they're really, I hope they take it seriously. No, the Adventist message is their message to share. Folks, we need to have that ownership. The Adventist message is something God is asking you and you and you, all of us, to share actively and passionately, to be involved in a lifestyle. You are the church, folks. You are the church. Every one of you is. Do you have that sense of culture? Do you have that, that passion for lost people? Do you own the message and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? In other words, God has given you that great commission. That, Folks, I'm telling you, we are called to share Jesus Christ at this time. We have given a mission and a message at this time. And I just want to encourage you. Don't look at evangelism as something that they do. Don't look at evangelism as something that happens every two or three years in our church for two or three weeks. That's it. Evangelism is a lifestyle. And it is a culture that God is calling every one of us to be a part of. Amen? How does that happen practically? How do we get involved in this lifestyle and cycle of evangelism we're going to unpack that in the next uh, two or three seminars very practically in the local church. But I believe I'm supposed to finish at 10.30, so let's stand together for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness. And I could say, Lord, for your patience with us. 
we have been so happy to rearrange the deck chairs on this sinking ship called planet Earth when you are asking us desperately to call people to the life vet, life craft, which is Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for being so distracted with the things of this world. Forgive us, Lord, for so quickly passing the buck on, on this great gospel commission. Help us, Lord, to live evangelism, to be involved in evangel living actively in our life and in our church and realize that the, that the mission, the great gospel commission, has not been given only to those who graduate from Andrews University Seminary. Not at all. It's been given to everyone who has been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and who is waiting anxiously for your coming. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. Equip us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.